Okay, chapter 29 from Deuteronomy. Okay, these are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread and you have not drunk wine or strong drink that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Manassites. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and your sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, that he may be your God, as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I'm making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God, and with whoever is not here with us today. You know how we lived in the land of Egypt, and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One, when he hears the word of his sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity, in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. And the next generation... Your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say when they see the afflictions of that land and the sickness with which the Lord has made it sick. The whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing, where no plant can sprout, an overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land? What caused the heat of this great anger? Then people will say, It is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, 
the God of the, their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from that land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you, you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your work, hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today, is it not too hard for you? Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and death, life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments, his statutes and rules, that you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to them. Um, so you've just heard the sermon. Uh, now let me highlight some of the key points from this sermon. Uh, 
So Moses begins by reminding Israel of what God did during the Exodus and in providing for them during their time in the wilderness. Now, why does Moses rehash this history? He rehashes it because he wants to point out Israel's big problem. Uh, turn, turn back to chapter 29. Take a closer look at verse 4. Uh, Moses says, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes, but verse 4, To this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear. What's the problem? The problem problem is that even though Israel have seen and experienced God's immense power and grace, they don't truly comprehend this in their hearts. Now, I'm sure we've all experienced a case of selective hearing. Uh, When your parents or your spouse or your housemate calls your name with a tone of asking you about an incomplete house chore, suddenly... You do not have eyes to see, or ears to hear, or hearts to understand. Israel has a big case of selective seeing, selective hearing, and selective knowing. And they cannot overcome this selectiveness on their own. Such is the state of their sinful and stubborn hearts that it will require God to give them the heart the eyes and the ears, to truly know, see, and hear. And so the solution to this problem is an invitation, an invitation to enter into covenant relationship with God. And Moses makes it clear that this is an invitation that is truly undeserved. See, Israel's hearts are too stubborn to acknowledge God. And so not only does uh, God demonstrate His grace uh, by rescuing them from Egypt in the Exodus, but He also speaks His grace to them in the words of His covenant and tells them exactly what they need to do in order to respond in love and obedience. Now, have a, look, uh, have a closer look at verse 13. And notice who takes the initiative in this covenant. Uh, verse 13, that he, that is the Lord God, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Who's taking the initiative in this relationship? It's all God. It's not based on anything special Israel have done, See, left on their own, their hearts would selectively ignore God, despite His grace to them. And so God doesn't leave them on their own. He graciously invites this generation of Israel and all future generations of Israel into covenant relationship. God's covenant word is the solution to their stubborn hearts. But this solution comes with a warning against complacency. You see, uh, their hearts are dependent on God and His covenant word to overcome their stubbornness. But if their hearts abandon this covenant word and turn away from the one they depend on, and instead they turn to serve other gods, 
then it's obvious what will happen. Their hearts will return to their old, stubborn ways. And so Moses gives a warning. His warning is, beware of those who become complacent in their reliance on God. Have a, have a close look there at verse 19. Uh, Moses says, Beware of those who hear the words of this covenant, bless themselves in their hearts, and say, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Moses says, Beware of them, because their complacency will infect all of Israel. Uh, and if Israel gets infected by this complacency, if they abandon this covenant relationship, then Moses tells them that they will experience the curses of the covenant uh, that we saw in great vivid detail from our sermon last week. And Israel will have no one to blame but themselves. In fact, you know, uh, if, if these things happen uh, to Israel and everyone around the surrounding nations kind of question what's happening there, the question, what, what's happening with Israel to, to, for them to fall into such disaster, um, they'll actually look on that and be like, actually, that's, that's not unjust, unjust at all. That, that, is, uh, that makes a lot of sense because they recognize that God, uh, in, in, in raining down these curses, is actually just being faithful to his covenant promise. Now, in light of this warning, Moses delivers a promise. And at first, uh, this promise seems a little bit ominous, right? Uh, He begins in chapter 30, verse 1. Look at there in your Bibles. He begins with, And when all these things come upon you. And when, not if, when. Normally when you give someone a warning you'd hope that they wouldn't continue in whatever wrong behavior or thing that you've been warning them about. Or at the very least, you would leave open the possibility, even if you don't believe it yourself, you'd leave open the possibility that they will heed the warning. Uh, But Moses has no mercy in this. Moses isn't hopeful at all. He just assumes that Israel will inevitably abandon the covenant. And so you'd expect something very harsh uh, for Moses to say something very harsh at this point, and when all these things come upon you. But look at what Moses says next. Uh, verse 1, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, and you call them to mind, and return to the Lord your God, and obey His voice with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. God's promise for when Israel abandons the covenant is not destruction, but restoration. You know, despite their failure to heed repeated warnings, despite their adultery and turning to other gods, despite their devastation and decline into exile, there is still an opportunity. There is still a small chance of hope to return to God to repent of their stubborn hearts and to ultimately be restored. You see, God isn't going to let something uh, as little as the failure of Israel get in the way of His covenant promise. 
Uh, the whole book of Deuteronomy has so far has been all about God's determination to call a people to himself. And something like covenant disobedience isn't going to get in the way of that. And so God promises not just the restoration of their covenant blessings, but a restoration of their hearts, such that their hearts would be stubborn no more. Remember that the problem is the stubbornness of their hearts. God promises not just to restore them to their blessing, but to restore their hearts. And the key verse in this is verse 6 of chapter 30. Have a read there. Verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And so with this future promise in mind, Moses draws his sermon to a close by calling Israel to a decision. And despite what he said so far about the stubbornness of their hearts and the inevitability of their failure, Moses presents this as a decision that is not impossible to make. Moses makes it very obvious uh, what the choice ought to be. And when Moses calls on Israel to choose life and blessing instead of death and curse, he makes it clear what this choice involves. They are to choose life and blessing, and they do so by loving God and obeying Him. Now, what it looks like to love God and obey Him is not a mystery either. Uh, Moses reminds Israel in verse 11 onwards that God has graciously given Israel His covenant word, a set of laws and commands that teach and show them what it looks like to love God and to love neighbor. And he reminds them that God has invited them to enter into this covenant for them to be His people and for Him to be their God. These things are not too hard for them to do, nor are they far off. The Word, the covenant Word, is very near them. It is in their mouth. It is in their heart so that they can do it. You see, the choice before Israel is a genuine choice. It is genuinely possible for them to choose life. This is why Moses ends his sermon by urging Israel to choose life, that they and their offspring may live. Why would Moses urge them to do something that they cannot do? But the fact that Israel's choice is genuine means that there is also a possibility that they will choose otherwise. And Moses has already made it clear that he knows for certain that they will choose otherwise. Because of their persistently stubborn hearts, and despite knowing the choice they ought to make and are able to make, Israel will ultimately be unwilling to choose life. And this choice plays out throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Israel eventually enters their promised land, and they do enjoy a period of blessing uh, for a time under God. But Israel fails to heed Moses' warnings here in Deuteronomy 30. 
and they eventually succumb to the stubbornness of their hearts, and they abandon their covenant with God. Israel makes their choice. So what choice does God have in response? Uh, Moses' sermon makes the consequences of Israel's choice clear. Uh, the consequences for God, that is. Uh, if, if Israel keeps the covenant, if they choose life, then God will give them life and blessing. If Israel abandons the covenant, God will give them death and curses. And so Israel's decision places a choice before God. He could enact justice and give them the death and curses they deserve. Or he could show mercy and give them the life and blessing that they don't deserve. So what will it be? Life or death? Blessing or curse? Mercy or justice? This is the choice before God. And at first it seems like an impossible choice. If God enacts justice, how can he show mercy? If God shows mercy, how will he enact justice? Now, while Moses' sermon has left Israel with a choice that is possible, he seems to have left God with a choice that is impossible. But this is God we're talking about. Uh, he's not going to let something like impossibility get in the way. He can make the impossible possible. Moses' sermon has already shown us that when faced between the choice of mercy or justice, God's answer is yes. God will enact justice and He will show mercy. Now, the warnings in Moses' sermon culminate in uh, chapter 29, verses 27 to 28, uh, with God bringing the covenant curses upon Israel, ultimately uprooting them from their land, casting them into another land. And this is exactly what happens towards the latter half of the Old Testament, when the people of Israel are exiled into the land of Babylon, their covenant relationship with God all but dead. And it's worth pointing out that if God didn't do this, if He didn't exile His people Israel, then it will cast major doubt over God's righteousness and trustworthiness. You see, if God doesn't punish covenant disobedience, then He would be condoning sin. He would be, condo he would be giving a stamp of approval on sin. And if God doesn't do as He warns, then He would be a liar. But God is true to His word and He is true to His character. And so ultimately and eventually, he enacts justice upon Israel. However, God also promises to restore his people, even after they have suffered the judgment of exile. He promises mercy, even though he enacts judgment. In fact, he promises mercy in the midst of his judgment. That's exactly what happens in the latter half of the Old Testament. Uh, with Israel in exile in Babylon, God reveals new information about His promise to circumcise the stubborn hearts of His people through His prophet 
Ezekiel. And so if you have your Bibles there, it would be good to turn up now to Ezekiel chapter 36. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 36. It's uh, towards the middle of your Bibles after Jeremiah and Lamentations. If you hit some of the minor prophets, you've gone too far. So Ezekiel chapter 36, and we're going to be reading from uh, verse 26 and 27. Listen to what God says in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 to 27. God says through the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. How will God intervene to soften their stubborn hearts? Well, he will give them a new heart, a heart filled with his spirit. And this will cause them to do what they were previously unwilling to do. It will cause them to choose life. This is God's new covenant promise to Israel in the midst of their judgment in exile. In place of the old covenant which Israel failed and abandoned, God gives hope for a new covenant, one that will deal with the problem of their stubborn hearts. And this promise is ultimately fulfilled in God choosing Jesus. Choosing Jesus to bear the curses of the old covenant on the cross so that his blood would establish the new covenant. Justice is enacted when Jesus takes on the sins of our stubborn hearts on the cross. And this justice leads to God mercifully pouring out His Spirit into our softened hearts, enabling us to love and obey God and so choose life. When faced with the impossible choice, what does God choose? He chooses justice and mercy. He chooses to send his son to face death and curse so that his people might receive life and blessing. By enacting justice through his son, God pours out mercy. In the stubbornness of our hearts, we will always choose death and curses. But out of his sheer love and grace, God chooses to save his people and give them life. So what does God's choice mean for us here today? You know, just like the Israelites in Deuteronomy, we too wrestle with the reality of our stubborn hearts every day. And the good news is that God in Christ has expanded his new covenant promises to include us as well. Jesus died not just so that his people Israel could be saved, but he died for all those who confess him as their Lord, who believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. 
And friends, if you think about it, isn't this the most perfect remedy for a stubborn heart? The way to soften a stubborn heart isn't to feed the heart what it wants. and It isn't to deny the heart what it desires either. Now, the way to soften a stubborn heart is to show it what it desperately lacks and what it desperately needs. And what greater way to demonstrate this lack and need than in the gospel of Jesus. See, Jesus dies the death that we rightly deserve because of our sinful and stubborn hearts. And so when we look to Jesus on the cross, we are reminded that it should be us hanging there. It should be us dying that death. And so when we see Jesus on the cross, we see very vividly what our stubborn hearts would naturally choose. We see what our stubborn hearts naturally lack. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, we have certainty that justice has been fully served and that entrusting ourselves to Jesus means that death is now an impossible choice for our hearts. See, the gospel shows us that without Jesus, our hearts will remain stubborn towards God. And the gospel shows us that in Jesus, God has given us what our hearts need. God has given us what our hearts need to love and obey Him. God has given us Himself. God has given us His Spirit. If you're here today and wrestling with a heart that is stubborn towards God, then let me encourage you with Paul's words in Romans chapter 10. Uh, Turn uh, with me now in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read from verse 6 to verse 13. Let me encourage you with Paul's words. And you might recognize where Paul draws his inspiration from. Uh, Verse 6, chapter 10. The righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved." For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, If you're sitting here and you're not yet a Christian, then I hope today you've heard the gospel and that you've been convicted of the stubbornness of your hearts, just like the rest of us. 
I hope you see that the only way to be saved from death and hell is by recognizing that you desperately need Jesus' death and resurrection for you. I hope you recognize that you need God to work in your heart. You can't do it on your own. You need God to work in your heart so that you can put your faith in Jesus by confessing Him as Lord, by believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. If you're here, you're not a Christian. God has chosen to show mercy to undeserving people like you and me. Will you respond by choosing life? For the Christians here who are wrestling with sin, which is every Christian here, And I hope you hear Moses' words as echoed by Paul in Romans. I hope that you hear in those words that you do not have to resign yourself to your stubborn hearts. God's word is very near you. In fact, God's word is in you, written on your hearts by his spirit, causing you to walk not in sin, but in love and obedience, which means it is not impossible to overcome your sin. Yes, we will continue to sin, and uh, we will never be fully free from the effects of sin until Jesus returns. But Jesus' death means that our sins are forgiven. And God's Spirit in us means that we are being restored more and more every day. And little by little, we put sin to death in our hearts and in our lives by the power of His Spirit. And we walk more and more in step with the Spirit who brings God's Word deep and written into our hearts. But in order to overcome your sin, You need to choose life today. You need to choose life by throwing yourselves onto the grace and mercy of God. You need to choose life by repenting of your sin, by confessing that Jesus is Lord, by believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, by loving God with all your heart and all your soul, and by hearing and obeying His Word, which gives life. And we do this because God has intervened into our hearts to pour His Spirit out into us so that we can do it. And it's not just choosing life today. You need to choose life tomorrow, and the next day, and the next, and every day until Jesus returns, when we will receive life and blessing everlasting. 